Thank you for listening to the Yippie Market Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. Carla Jo Helms is here with us as well. Hello, everybody. Hope you're having a great day. And uh, today we'll be talking about human decisions in MarTech and uh, just MarTech in general with the king of MarTech, Scott Brinker. He's written a book on hacking marketing. He's the VP of Platform Ecosystems at HubSpot, and he's one of the co-founders of Ion Interactive. Scott, that's a brief for somebody like you. There's just way too much we could say, a very brief introduction, but uh, we're super excited to have you on today, Scott, uh, talking about MarTech. Wow. Okay. Like King of Martech. That's a little bit like, uh, what, uh, Sting and the Police with King of Pain. <laughs> <laughs> or the King of Fox. Can you live up to that? I'll, do, I'll, I'll see what I can do. But thank you for having me. Yeah. So I always like to start out with some general stuff. We are um, super thrilled to have you on. Thanks for taking the time with us. I know you just finished the Martech conference. Uh, when this episode airs, we pre-tape a little bit. It's going to be about a month from now. I think the uh, beginning of uh, November. But uh, just so everybody knows, Scott just came down off the MarTech conference, and uh, he is now just uh, relaxing here with us a little bit. So uh, extra happy to, to have you have you on at, in, during your time of re- relaxation here. Yeah, actually talking MarTech is what I do for fun. So <laughs> Wow, that's passion. <laughs> it, it's something, some passion <laughs> slash obsession slash yeah, disorder, but you know. <laughs> cool. So... Scott, before we get into MarTech too much, I'm kind of fascinated with with you as a person and your background and your, I mean, what jumped out to me most, if you could speak to it a little bit, is your, your schooling from high school to college to startups and back to college. I think people look at you and they probably think, oh, Scott Brinker probably came out of high school early, maybe went to a... Uh, you know, uh, an Ivy League college and, you know, followed that standard really smart guy path uh, and uh, and then jumped into business and was successful. You've got quite a bit different of a, of a bounce around story. Yeah. Yeah. My poor parents. Uh, I did put them through hell. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I, I left high school early because I was um, uh, doing uh, early interactive games uh, in the bulletin board system world before uh, uh, the web really took off. Uh, I got into college early at the uh, University of Miami, but then dropped out of that because the bulletin board stuff was going well. And yeah, ended up, uh, you know, getting into the internet space and doing that for a number of years. And so it wasn't until I had turned 30 that I uh, uh, finally, with a little chip on my shoulder, went back to complete my undergraduate at uh, Columbia, which actually has, uh, as an aside, a really interesting program for non-traditional students. Uh, there's, there's more than a few of us out there in the world there now. Um, and then because I had that chip on my shoulder after I graduated from Columbia, I like did, did an MBA at MIT and then I did a computer science master's at Harvard just to, just to thoroughly beat that chip off the shoulder. <laughs> okay, in, we get it. Ground. You are super uh, smart. <laughs> it was fun. I, I, I don't know about that. Again, it's kind of like on the MarTech side. It's not so much the smart, it's the obsessive, uh, but it, it has the illusion of smart sometimes. And I guess you probably needed to make it up to your parents a little bit. Like, okay, okay, I'll go to college. See? I won't just go to a college. It only took me like 15 years, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I thought that that was, I mean, it was un, it was traditional in a sense of the uh, um, outlier traditional story, you know, dropped out of high school, dropped out of college to, to you know, to make a, a tech company, that kind of thing. Uh, but just the going back when you when you read off MIT, Harvard, th- th- just all the schools <laughs> that you that you went to and, and graduated from, and how uh, nonlinear it was. But then you you know you've always been in the tech space. The Martech thing in particular, I 
was introduced to you through your kind of uh, famous, I guess I would say, tech landscape PDF. And it dawned on me recently that that PDF is that. Uh, do you see that as a burden? Something people like really want you to continue, but uh, or or is it something you enjoy doing still? Oh, that's interesting. Um, uh, it's a, it's it's. Uh, I'll be honest. It's a bit of a mix. I mean, it's a lot of work uh, to maintain, and I've now, uh, uh, yeah, been very lucky to uh, uh, bring in a couple other folks, uh, Anand Talker and uh, Jeff Ekman, who you know help with it. Um, but it is a lot of work for you know what is uh, you know some people would claim is really just an eye chart. I think the only reason I kind of feel, and, and by the way, all the p- things, that, bad things that people say about it, like, hey, okay, this isn't, I mean, you know, you can't really use this to decide anything, right? It's just, it's just a conversation piece. And quite frankly, that's all it ever was really intended to be because it's still a really fascinating conversation. I mean, we look at this evolution, this explosion of all this technology, and even with so many pundits and analysts making really good arguments as to why it should have all consolidated to like six companies by now. The reality just isn't that. And I think there's something powerful about viscerally seeing that. It's not just like some sort of bar chart that says, oh, this number of companies this year, this number of companies. You like actually see the logos. These are real companies with real people, real dollars behind them. Uh, and yeah, I do think it opens up some really interesting conversations. And I... I I'm as fascinated uh, with a love-hate relationship with all that as uh, probably anyone. I mean, I've found it, it's become its own thing in a sense of uh, every event I go to, somebody's using it when they're talking as the, the backdrop for their slides. And the first real interaction I had with it was looking at it and saying, hey, our company's not on there. How do I get on there? <laughs> <laughs> I think people are... People are thinking, oh, if you're not on that chart and you're a MarTech company, then you haven't like that's the first step to recognition is getting on getting on that chart and having people see your logo amongst, you know, thousands of other logos on, in, the, in the background. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. Although, in all fairness, I would say about half the times when people come and say, hey, my logo isn't on there. I like have to blow it up and like zoom in on a thing. I'm like, actually you are, it's right over here. <laughs> no, I didn't see it. I'm like, <laughs> kind of makes the point, but, but yeah. actually the other side of that is, I mean, a really good point because again, I get a lot of emails when people, I get two kinds of emails. I get emails from people saying, aha, Adobe just purchased Marketo. See, your entire landscape is going to consolidate down. And that's fine. I I get those emails. But then in the same day, I will get like five emails from other companies who are like, you know, my logo isn't on your chart. We've just launched this company or we've got this company. It's got $90 million in sales out of Scandinavia. And I'd never heard of them before. And, you know, and so it's (laughs) there's a lot of Martech out there in the world. Yeah, we actually had a company come to us. My company, Mountaintop Data, provides data for marketing campaigns. And we'd already done the work for ourselves. But And then you guys made it much easier recently with this chart. But back in the day, we would take this chart and hunt down every company and collect information on them to make sure they were in our system and flag them as MarTech. And people would come to us and say, we want the MarTech database. We want <laughs> contacts in the MarTech database. Um, so I, you know, people were using it to, to that extent. And then we would find that as many logos as you have on there, there's many more that still don't make their way on there. Because yeah. like you said, this is a hobby. It's not like people are paying you a bunch of money to create this chart and go out there. People pay us to create it. So we went out and we would find 
you know, every company on the chart and every company we could that wasn't on the chart. And it was just astounding. As many as you've collected, there's so many more out there. There's just, there's so many companies. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, you know, like one of the other debates is like, okay, well, where do you draw the line? Like what is or isn't a MarTech company? Ooh, uh, you yes. Know, answer that oh, question. Okay. For our listeners. <laughs> All right. I, I found the topic you like. <laughs> answer that question for our listeners because I know that that is top of mind. What really is, what isn't. You know, even the media, some of the journalists are really trying to define that. Yeah, Scott, if you could settle that in three words or less, that would be great. Well, I don't know about that. Three words or less? <laughs> elevator. Uh, maybe, a hi- elevator. maybe a haiku, but let's keep it. No. <laughs> oh, here are three words. Marketers use it. <laughs> so, wow. um, you know, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I've always had things like categories for stuff like, you know, agile marketing management and some of this project stuff. Um, is because even if you say, oh, well, okay, that's project management. That isn't really marketing. The truth is, like, when you talk to marketing operations teams that are trying to figure out the stack and how software and, you know, the whole team is working, actually, project management is a very deeply integrated piece uh, of how marketing works. And so, yeah, if marketers use it, I I say it's MarTech. That, That makes very much sense and simplifies things down a lot, I guess people say, but it's this. Things can be more than one thing. Yes. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's almost the labels don't matter. Uh, I mean, they, they do because we have categorized things somehow just to make the world make sense. But for the most part, right, it's it's not the labels from the vendors or the analysts. What comes down to is, OK, how are marketing teams really using this stuff in practice? And, yeah, that doesn't always align with the labels that the, uh, you know, the industry pundits, uh, those of us in it, uh, you know, tend to. Around. Labels that you assigned everybody, Scott. You assigned them all a label. <laughs> <laughs> I am a labeler. <laughs> Can we talk about some of the most common, um, you know, Martech uses there are in marketing technology uh, today, and then, you know, what's coming on the horizon, or you know, the incipient stages, say, of blockchain and things like that. Oh yeah, no. Uh, now I know we're having a real podcast about you know marketing technology because <laughs> blockchain has come up. It, uh, <laughs> um, well, you know, I, I, I think there. Are, let's maybe say there are like three levels to this. There's sort of foundational systems, um, and to be honest. 90% of what needs to happen at most companies you can cover with these foundational systems, right? It's like having a good, let's call it a CRM, you know, some sort of system of record, uh, you know, for prospects and customers, uh, probably a marketing automation platform that's, among other things, you know, driving a lot of your emails and sort of your, you know, touch point, uh, you know, campaign management. Uh, you almost certainly have some sort of CMS. We might call it like a digital experience platform if we're feeling fancy, but you know, it's a CMS. It's the thing that's driving your website. If you have commerce-related stuff, you know, okay, there might be an e-commerce piece to it. Um, but you know, if you're doing a lot of ad tech stuff, you might have you know a vendor there. But it's a relatively small subset of stuff that you say, okay, these are the foundational systems. You need to get these right. Um, because if you don't, I mean, everything else is great, you know, it just, it, it doesn't hold together. But then you start to, the next layer beyond that becomes more of these, uh, point solutions. Uh, you know, like, oh, well, what do I use for event management? Yeah. Like if I'm going to, you know, participate in a trade show or run a trade show, um, uh, what do I use for influencer, uh, management? Like, right. Okay. I want to run influencer campaigns and keep track of that. 
Um, oh, maybe it's not just influencers. I want to do this within my own customers. And so it's going to be an advocacy program that has loyalty benefits associated with it. Um, you know, and you start to get into these really cool specialized solutions. In fact, well, I did it ION uh, with uh, interactive content, uh, things like calculators and quizzes and assessment tools. You know, I mean, again, that uh, as much as I would have liked interactive content to be one of those foundational systems, it wasn't. It's like it, it makes sense once you've got your CMS, you've got your CRM, you've got your map, then you might add a point solution for interactive content uh, because it's a very, it's a more specialized set of capabilities. And then the third level out there gets to the stuff of, okay, kind of the emerging things, you know, the stuff on the edge, um, like blockchain, uh, you know, and blockchain's being used in a few different ways, right? We've got probably the most common use case right now is using, uh, at least in the MarTech world, is using blockchain to bring a little more transparency and accountability to ad tech. Uh, so a lot of blockchain-based uh, ad exchanges that are coming up, so you can truly track where ads went, uh, you know, with uh, some authority. Um, uh, you also start to see some of this, uh, you know, blockchain stuff happening on the customer side with like loyalty programs and tracking transactions. Uh, I mean, there's a few cases there that are really clear. There's a bunch of other really interesting ideas, right? Like, you know consumers having the ability to rent their data to marketers in exchange for getting paid for it and the blockchain keeps track of this and who's used it. Yeah, and that is pretty incredible. That'll change the dynamic of marketing as we know it, right? Yeah, no, right. I mean, you know, this stuff, is, it's kind of like off there in a little bit of science fiction land at the moment, but if it wouldn't take a lot technically. You know, it's mostly almost like this social thing that if that, that were to tip, you're absolutely right, right? It would just thoroughly disrupt uh, the way we approach. Thoroughly disrupt. True. Well, I have a question. You know, I read, you know, one in 40 of the Inc. 5000 list are MarTech companies. Out of those three categories, what are they in the main? So they're mostly the first two, right? It's uh, There's still a bunch of people trying to compete for these foundational systems. Although, to be honest, you know, when you talk about consolidation and MarTech, those are the categories where kind of the consolidated major platforms are steadily winning out. Because everything else, these are kind of accessories to those platforms. So they either build them or kind of buy up the best ones, right? Yeah. And I think what you increasingly see is the point solutions in order to escape being absorbed by a major platform, they do have to have some sort of specialization, whether it's, you know, functionally, they're just highly specialized, like the world's most specialized influencer management program. It's not clear to me that Salesforce, Adobe, Oracle, HubSpot, you know, companies like that would necessarily want to own that. It might be something that, yeah, actually, if there's a vendor out there who does that and they're amazing and they integrate with these other ecosystems, probably a healthier thing for everyone. Um, but then the other way in which you get specialization is sort of verticals, right? I mean, like, you know, people who are doing, um, <laughs> uh, you know, advocacy around, uh, you know, uh, associations, uh, you know, I mean, the, you start to get into these things where the dynamics of the audience you're working with, the environment in which you're working with, um, people build things that are very unique to that. Uh, and so, yeah, you would never see like an Adobe or a Salesforce or an Oracle try and like cater to that market because actually the scale of the market wouldn't even make sense for these multi-billion dollars. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know I noticed a while back um, 
in, in our business that the CRM, I mean, that's one of the foundational MarTechs, and there's so many vertically specific CRMs out there. You don't realize it unless you're in the industry, but there's a CM, CRM specifically for like sawmills and certain types of manufacturing and certain types of retail. And that, you know, there's all these little niche CRMs out there. Then you've got your sales force and you've got your, you know, your major players. But yeah, there are a lot of vertical niches, I guess, with, with a lot of these, uh, these techs. You guys, you're at HubSpot and you have a chart that's almost like the MarTech chart of all these solutions that connect to HubSpot. Now, I'm, I'm sure HubSpot probably owns some of those or would absorb some of those eventually, but you know, you have all these accessories kind of that, that make the, the larger platform kind of that enhance it. And that's, I guess, where all these, these, little, these little MarTechs come in to, to accessorize the larger player. Yeah, and you know, again, some of them aren't necessarily that little. It's just they're, they're they go in a different dimension, uh, you know, than sort of what HubSpot, uh, you know, is really designed to do. Um, so I, I, I don't know, like you know, I mean, some of the folks uh, like on the video side. I mean, we partner uh, with Vidyard, uh, but there's a whole collection of video partners who build infrastructure for this, all sorts of creative tools. Um, you know, using something like I don't know, uh, you know, Shaker, you know, to create videos. It just it wouldn't make sense for HubSpot to be trying to be really good at that because uh, it, it just goes in a very different kind of direction. Yeah. It's a giant collaborative marketplace. Um, when you open your platform up for everybody to create things that integrate with it, you just you know you're connected to all the best ideas without having to make them all in house, I guess. Yeah, and I think it's, um, you know, I mean, the challenge with every platform ecosystem is there is inevitably this overlap between the platform and the ecosystem. It's constantly changing, uh, you know, and I think, uh, you know, the way HubSpot uh, takes this is to just be very open and transparent about it. uh, So we don't exclude uh, anyone from our ecosystem. Like if we have someone like, for instance, like we have a service hub uh, product that we released this year, but we are also super happy to have Zendesk and Help Scout and uh, people like that in our ecosystem because at the end of the day, we feel you know customers value choice. They they don't want to feel like they're forced to have to buy all of everything from one company. You know, it's nice when you can give them you know lots of options there, but uh, yeah, they want to control the choice, uh, and I think that's one of the secrets to making these sort of platform ecosystem dynamics work well for everyone. I love the companies do that. One of the things I've seen just with the internet in general, and it's kind of in the news right now, so maybe you'll speak to that, but it's the, the democratization of, of technology and kind of opportunity where, you know, back in the day, if you wanted to write music and knew how you could just write music. If you wanted to write a book, you could just write a book, but you couldn't start, you know, a company. You, you could create that content but now if you can code and you have an idea, you can, you know, the barrier to entry is so low and these marketplace exists where companies like HubSpot, companies like Salesforce say, yeah, we'll open our doors and you can make something good and, we'll, and you can come into our marketplace and it's an open partner slash competition all in one marketplace. That's just, I don't know, it, it's kind of, it's kind of awesome. Um, and then you have net neutrality coming out and it, you know, that makes me think about that. It's something that can mm. stifle that open marketplace where it's about the ideas and not who can overcome the the uh, the hurdles and who can get you know who can get over that initial barrier to entry. 
I think that's the thing. It's like, you know, so companies that get in a position where they are truly monopolistic, um, it is very hard for them to resist the temptation of basically behaving uh, monopolistic. Um, but, you know, most companies aren't uh, monopolies. Um, and I think one of the things everyone kind of recognizes in this world where it's not just software that sits off on a box on its own and, you know, some, you know, uh, yeah, data room in your company anymore, but it's like stuff in the cloud and it interacts with all this other stuff in the cloud and you're probably using something like Zapier to like, you know, move data from one thing here to another thing over there that, um, yeah, being open and not... And playing fair, uh, you know, being a good citizen uh, with the rest of the, you know, the cloud ecosystem out there, that's what customers want. And if you don't do it, customers get annoyed with you. Uh, you know, so I mean, it, it is, it's not a super altruistic thing. It's like, hey, customers want you to be open and interact and work well with these other tools. So um, yeah, if you're customer centric, that's what you do. That's awesome. Um, I want to transition back to kind of the original topic here, the, the human's interacting with MarTech uh, thing, see if we can dig into that a little bit. Um, you had mentioned in our uh, bef- before we came on air here, balancing centralization versus decentralization uh, as, as something we wanted to go over. And then, yeah, just the automation versus human interaction. MarTech tends to automate a lot of stuff. I've always thought that there's two kinds of products. There's the products that say this exists now. If you don't get it, your competition has it. And it doesn't really make your life better. It doesn't really give you more leads, better marketing. It's just now there's a tool that you have to have. It's an arms race kind of, and it doesn't get you ahead. It just allows you to keep up with the other people who have it. And then there's the things that truly make your life easier, make your marketing better. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So uh, the exercise uh, I went through for this uh, was in preparing for the, uh, the MarTech conference that was earlier this week. Um, you know, I was trying to think, like, what are the big challenges that marketing, tech, and operations leaders wrestle with? And I felt it was uh, fell into two categories. One was just this constant rate of change. I mean, oh, my goodness, just everything. Not, nothing stands still, uh, you know, in this industry anymore. Yeah, that can be very unsettling for uh, marketers and, uh, you know, operations people, for sure. Yeah, right. And it's not just about the MarTech piece of that. It's just the world in general just doesn't. I mean, like Facebook is, you know, changing the rules. And now, you know, this is happening with Instagram. And oh, my goodness, we've got these voice assistants that, you know, were science fiction two years ago. And now, you know, 80% of the homes that we're trying to reach have. It's like, yeah. So it's so dealing with change is really hard. And I think that's maybe the number one thing that marketing tech and ops leaders wrestle with. But the second one, and this is what I found so fascinating, is they're usually the people who are being asked to balance these seemingly paradoxical um, uh, missions. Like, you know, uh, one of them is to, you know, like centralize uh, everything you can, right? So we want to standardize the tools we're using. Uh, you know, like we don't want three different CRMs. We want one CRM. You know, we want right. people to standardize on a marketing automation tool. We want to, you know, standardize some of the data to make sure, you know, and that's fine. But at the same time, a lot of companies are also seeking to decentralize capability, right? I mean, like if a marketer 
off, you know, in, uh, you know, Australia, you know, wants to put up, uh, you know, an ad and a landing page, you don't want them to have to wait three weeks to go through some central authority to get that built and to get that approved. What you really want to do is give them the tools that they can self-serve. They can get it into market that afternoon. They can test, they can learn, they can iterate, you know, and that's not just happening for that marketer. That's happening across your entire organization with all these different marketers. Um, and so part of what you're trying to do then in marketing tech and operations is you're like, okay, well maybe we'd have a, standardized CMS and we'll have standardized landing page templates and we'll have a certain, you know, uh, maybe standardized tool for A-B testing. But then part of the benefit of doing that kind of standardization is we want to then be able to train and enable, you know, the much larger marketing organization to say, hey, go off and do, frankly, anything you want as long as it's within these certain, you know, guardrails. Um, and so it's like you're trying to both centralize and empower decentralization at the same time. And it, does. It, it sounds paradoxical, but when you look at the cases that people are actually doing it, it starts to make sense. What would you recommend as, you know, advice for marketers and operations um, that are struggling with this to keep some sense of sanity and semblance of, you know, um, like a foundational basics while they're adapting to the change. What would you say? Yeah. So again, I think. Yeah. <laughs> is there a Martech that solves this? <laughs> yeah. What, what tool do we need now? <laughs> There's a Martech for that. Yes. I think Apple has that copyrighted. Um, I actually think this is one of the cases where less is more. I think in the centralization, you want to identify the handful of things that you really get benefit from having standardized. Uh, and again, I think like the core customer record, core customer identity, these are, it's, that's almost non-negotiable. You have to have that standardized so that you can connect the dots for all these different touch points that you have with customers, not just in marketing, right? But when they hand over to sales, uh, when you're engaging them with your customer success teams, um, uh, things like content, uh, you know, having, standardized assets, uh, standardized templates. Uh, you know, I mean, brand still matters. Brand standards still matter. Uh, it's not just something from last century. And so, you know, getting the mechanisms in place that when you start to enable those frontline marketers and other people at the edge of your organization, you know, to do much more personalized and highly targeted, you know, campaigns or some sort of experience interaction they're having with customers, that you are giving them the tools to be to be great at that, uh, that you know they, 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 they that they have a lot of freedom, yeah, uh, you know, within certain dimensions, uh, you know, for certain kinds of messaging and creativity and testing and offers, but there's these other dimensions like okay, well, the quality of the actual you know uh, the page itself and you know uh, you know what links to what and where do we collect the data from it you know that these things that uh, you wouldn't want high variation on you want those to be standardized so it's not, I mean it's not rocket science uh, it's not a piece of cake but you know doing doing a few things standardized really well and then empowering you know the rest of the marketing organization to leverage that. Uh, feels like a pretty good place to start. So it seems like you're saying if, if you're if the company is trying to lock down their marketing team 
with MarTech, they can stifle the creativity that's necessary to have successful campaigns, kind of? Yeah, it's funny. It's almost like the problem marketing used to have with IT, right? I mean, it's like, oh, well, marketing wants this. They need to get from IT. IT says, sure, we'll change the website for you. We'll get to it next January. Um, you know, that's one of the reasons why marketing technology and operations teams came into existence is because marketing just couldn't afford to wait for IT. Right. But it's ironic. You now kind of just push it down the thing. And it's like now you got these frontline marketers who want to do things, you know, and they're like, OK, well, the central market ops team will uh, try and get to that next quarter. And they're like, oh, man, I can't wait that long. I've got numbers to hit. You know, they just go out. They find a solution in the cloud. They hook it up to Zapier and they're like off and running. They just traded it in for a new IT department they have to wait for, kind of. Yeah, and I think this is what where things get really exciting if you can try and look at it through this, you know, centralizing and decentralizing at the same time is marketing operations needs to work really hard at not being a bottleneck to the rest of the marketing organization. And I think the technology is one of the solutions to that. Um, you know, so you cent centralize, you know, certain uh, standards, certain guardrails, but then you turn loose people to be able within those guardrails to self-service themselves for all sorts of marketing capabilities. I love it. Yeah, that's some good uh, actionable advice there. Get out of the way of your marketers and let them do their job. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> All right, I want to take a, a quick break here, Scott, uh, Carla, Joe. Um, we'll step out for a minute, and then uh, and then we'll be right back to talk more uh, Martech here with uh, Scott Brinker. Hey, I'm Adam, the CEO at Siftrock. We help B2B marketers manage all your email replies. So instead of manually sorting through the real responses, the out-of-office replies, the left company notifications, you can use our tool to automatically filter those responses route the good ones to your reps and update your marketing automation platform automatically. You can find us at siftrock.com. All right, we're back from break. This is the If You Market podcast. I'm your host, Sky Cassidy. I've got our co-host, Carla Joe Helms here. Here I am. And uh, Scott Brinker of uh, Chief Martech is here to talk Martech. Thanks for joining us, uh, Scott. Yep, glad to be back. So before the break, talking tons of Martech, going to talk tons more Martech, of course. Um, wanted to jump into a specific subject here on the, I think I mentioned it before the break, but the automation versus human interaction when it, uh, when it comes to MarTech. I know I get a lot of things that you can still tell that they're, they're automated. They're trying to make them look human, but can you speak to that, uh, that subject a little bit? Yeah, right. So uh, we were earlier talking about this tension between centralized and decentralized. And in some ways I see a, a very similar tension between the desire to automate uh, as much as we can in marketing, but also to make sure we're humanizing our marketing. That's in, in engaging with, uh, you know, actual real humans. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, um, like one of the best examples of the the good and the bad of automation uh, was from like 1940 uh, from Mickey Mouse. Uh, if you remember the movie Fantasia and the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Yeah. Uh, oh, wow. Right? Yeah. yeah. So I was like, wondering you know, where you were going. I was, I did, I wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he gets like, you know, he doesn't want to carry the water himself. So magic wand and aha, you know, we get the broom to carry the water. Uh, and that's good until all of a sudden there's like, you know, dozens and then hundreds of rooms all carrying water. They just won't stop and just, you know, yeah. So it's funny. It's like, oh, yeah, like that would never happen. And then meanwhile, I'm not sure if you saw there was a, 
cartoon from Tom Fishburne, uh, Marketoonist. I love his stuff. Uh, you know, he had this cartoon a couple weeks back where it was like right out of the inbox. Like, it's like, I have this special offer for you. Why haven't you responded to my email? Just trying again. Haven't heard from you yet. Are you okay? You know, is that hippo run over? It's like, you know, you look at this like string of emails and you're like, oh my God, this like, you know, I, I hope it's not a human sending those out, uh, but in some ways it's even worse. Yeah, that's getting played out now. As, as it should. But here's the thing. It's the fact that it's been around for now so long and it's so, it was pretty much annoying from the beginning, but like. It's so automated now. That it's just, why didn't it get recognized? Right, because when you set the automation, you know, it's, it's, it's no sweat off of the marketer uh, to do that. Um, and so I, I, one of the ways I think about this, it's like, oh, I didn't mean to, you know, like hit you with the thousand emails. I just wasn't even thinking about it. Um, so one of the things I think about here is like, all right, if you imagine a two by two, uh, you know, I'm a little academic as we talked about earlier. So <laughs> a two by two, um, and on one axis, it's like, okay, is it efficient for the company, uh, or inefficient for the company? Uh, and then the other axis is, is it efficient for the customer or is it inefficient for the customer? And hey, listen, if it's inefficient for the company and the customer, that's just a crappy experience. Um, if it's efficient for the company and efficient for the customer, it's like totally awesome. In some cases, we have things that are efficient for the customer, but they're not efficient for the company. But those might actually be okay, depending on what they are. Because right, like if you think about you know brand touch points where there's some sort of special service, or you know we're making an exception for someone, we're going out of our way to build that relationship. It might not have been efficient, but it might win us a customer for life. It might be well worth it. And if it's a high enough value product, then yeah, you can fly to them and buy a mistake dinner. That's not super efficient, but. You're not exactly that for a dollar ninety nine product. Exactly. So it may be worth it. It may not. But you know, at least that's a quadrant where you could consider it. The one that gets really scary is the one where you have things that become super efficient for the company, and they're really inefficient for the customer. Um, and part of the problem with automation is because automation tends to be such an inward driven activity, it's very easy for us to look at, oh, well, these are all the inefficiencies inside our company. Hey, well, let's, <laughs> let's make all these things automated, make them super efficient without actually thinking through the consequences of, hmm, is that actually going to make things more inefficient for our customers as a result? Like now I have to delete like 50 emails from you instead of just one. That's not helping. So... Yeah, it seems to be the favorite marketing technique for software as a service. They they said, you know what would be great? No sales team. We'll just set up these cadences and just let them run and try to make them look personal. And then everybody does it. And marketing does this all the time, but usually it takes longer. I feel like with MarTech now, marketing comes up with an idea and then we kind of crap it out so much faster. And by crap it out, I mean just kind of play it out. You know, everybody does it so much so often that it gets just played out so much faster now. So that's why I think like the really great marketing technology and operations leaders are the ones who are going to take a customer centric view and they're going to say, okay, yes, we want to make things efficient for the company. But every single thing we automate that way, we are also going to evaluate very carefully for, hey, is this making life better for our customers or is it making it worse? 
Uh, and if it's making worse, we're not going to move forward with that until we figure out a way to get those two things in the line. And the other thing they should do, too, is they should pilot something before they do it on all of their customers to make sure, right? Absolutely. And, and that speaks to the decentralization yeah. thing, right? It's like you, you, you want these little experiments happening, you know, sort of on the edge of the organization. And then, yeah, most, you know, some of them will work, some of them won't. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it's like the only the ones that, uh, you know, work and get proven over time are the ones you want to scale up at, you know, high speed. It seems like uh, account-based marketing is kind of a backlash against MarTech, but then MarTech went out and built everything for account-based marketing. They're like this weird paradox of, hey, it's account-based, you got to get personal with them, and here's the MarTech to manage it for you so you don't have to get personal with them. Yeah, it's... It's really interesting. So for years, right? I mean, salespeople were the ones who actually dealt face to face with the customer. And marketing was kind they of, were account based marketing. Yeah. yeah, all salespeople shake their heads and say, "What are you talking about, marketers? That's how it's done." Yeah, yeah well, that's not how it's done anymore. <laughs> right. But yeah. but the thing for marketers is, you know, I mean, they were always in the business of mass communications. And so, like, to have this idea of these very high-level personas and these very broad, horizontal-like tactics, you know, I mean, that made sense. That's what marketing was. But now what has happened is through the technology, you know, marketers are now in a position where they can have these highly specialized interactions, you know, with individuals. But the truth is most marketers don't spend a lot of time with those individuals. They don't, they don't go and visit these customers. They don't understand the context. They've never actually sat where that, you know, customer is receiving this stream of 50 emails and being like, yeah, yeah, now that I look at it that way, that does kind of suck, doesn't it? Um, and so I think if we're, you know, we're going to have this more personalized marketing, if we're going to have, you know, things like account-based, you know, uh, mental models, you know, get brought to, uh, you know, marketing technology, man, marketers need to get out from the office and spend more time just <laughs> meeting customers face-to-face. -face. Yeah, it's so creating a, an AI to handle your personal interaction. It's a little, uh, it's a little... A little counterproductive, uh, I, I guess. Well, and I just, again, it's just about making sure we, it's not that we don't want to automate and that we don't want to find efficiencies for the company. It's just that we don't want to do it in a vacuum where it's somehow disconnected from the impact it's going to have on the very people that, yeah, we really want to win over. Excellent. So a question for you to General Martech. I ask this of a lot of people, but I realize if there's anybody in the world to ask this, it should be you. Um, do you have a favorite Martech stack? Oh, anyone that works for you is uh, pretty good in my book. Um, <laughs> actually, I don't. I mean, I'm incredibly tool agnostic. Um, uh, in fact, uh, you know, my background, uh, probably not surprising, is, you know, the nerdiness, you know, as an engineer, and boy, before marketing, right, you know, it was the software engineers that always had these religious wars of, you know, oh, well, do you like Java or do you like C++? I'm like, man, whatever, like, helps you build a great piece of software that you like. I mean, <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm very agnostic on it in, in an abstract level. And I think then within a particular company, whichever set of tools you get, um, yeah, are, are they the right tools for you? Are you using them well? Uh, that's what matters. Right. And then something personal um, about you, particularly, you always seem extremely happy. Is that is that <laughs> real? Like question. every time I see you anywhere, every photo, you just seem like such a happy guy. What's the <laughs> secret 
<laughs> I don't know. Um, I, 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 you know, it's pr probably because I really do find this Martech stuff fascinating. I mean, it's such an exciting time to see, like, this entire profession rethinking what is possible. I mean, it's not about the tech per se, right? It's the fact that, you know, marketing in a lot of organizations for a long time was kind of the redheaded stepchild. It was like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're the arts and crafts people. And, you know, yeah, yeah, they'll do some ads and, you know, spend some money on some big, you know, wasted sponsorship or whatever. Yeah, it's it, it's like they, they weren't at the table. They weren't like the ones generally, uh, you know, there are a few exceptions, you know, major CPG companies. But for most companies, like marketing wasn't at the seat at the table. But now, I mean, wow. I mean, marketing has become the hub around which this entire new customer experience mentality for organizations is being organized. And to see this transformation of this entire profession, uh, and as a result, to live up to those opportunities and those expectations, the bringing in of like all these talents where, you know, you're mixing the best of creatives with now the best of technologists, you know, and really top thinking strategy and how do we do this in a design thinking way? And I mean, <laughs> this is just seriously cool stuff. Uh, and so the fact yeah. that, yeah, I, I get to participate in this and talk with, you know, folks like you uh, about it. Yeah, it uh, makes me happy. It's basically you love what you, what, what you do, yeah. I mean, you're doing this to wind down from a conference, so. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, yeah. Hey, I have a question. I have a personal question for you. Maybe not. What do you personally think is on the horizon, like the trend for MarTech that we're going to be seeing in the next two to five years? Oh, so I think there's two things. Um, I mean, there's a lot, but I'll, I'll pick two. Um, so one is, I think, this explosion of different kinds of touch points to customers is really now starting to take off in a big way. And that what, what I mean by that is like, for a long time, digital meant the website or the website and email. And it was the website and email and social. And then the website and email and social and mobile. And now the website, the email, mobile and social. And now we've got chatbots and now voice assistants. And hey, what's happening here with AR and VR? And now these internet of things, uh, you know, like smart devices that used to be sort of, you know, science fiction, you know, edge of, uh, you know, the market. Now they're starting to get mass adoption, right? The Amazon uh, microwave that, you know, you talk to now. I mean, all these things, I mean, you think about all the work that has gone into the past 20, 25 years of marketers trying to understand, oh, how do we create good customer experiences on our website? <laughs> In fact, actually, if you go to a lot of websites, you realize we still haven't quite mastered that one. We've got a ways to go for a lot of companies. Um, but right, I mean, a lot of work has gone into like figuring that out. And that was just one kind of touch point. And everybody went through their flash phase where you go to a website, you got to sit for a while, wait for their flash thing to finish. Yes. And that's kind of the early stage we're at now with so many of these new kinds of touch points. So I think there's a tremendous amount of creative opportunity um, for marketers. Uh, yeah. In the, in the next five years. I mean, we haven't even begun to scratch. Um, so there's that. And then the second one I'll say is, uh, you know, and this is a little biased with what I'm doing at HubSpot, uh, but Actually, the reason I'm at HubSpot is because I believe in this vision is I think the landscape is going to start to get organized around platforms and ecosystems in a really strong way. So I think this will make life easier for marketers because I think you will select one or maybe two major platforms that become the tentpole of your stack. 
And then they will have worked with, you know, the rest of the ecosystem to get these really tight integrations so that you as a marketer, then you're like, oh, well, I want to plug in these, you know, six other things or these 10 other things. It really becomes sort of a click to add kind of like you do for apps on your iPhone and it just fits in and it just works and it's in the interface and your data is synchronized. Um, we're not we're not quite there yet, but every single major platform company I know uh, is working in that direction. And I think you play this out over the next two to three years. I think actually that landscape's going to get a lot easier for uh, marketers to navigate. And so I'm pretty excited about that. Great. So Scott, I'm I'm guessing guys like you, you probably have a dozen ideas in your head all the time for first a company somebody could create. Um, if you were to you know, either advise somebody looking, they didn't know what they want to do. Let's say somebody's in the startup world and they, I don't know what I want to do, but I want to do something in MarTech. What, what do you think they should create? What area or what specific, um, you know, function tool uh, MarTech should they create? Well, I'll answer it in a slightly tangential way, but I think it would be the advice I would give someone who's interested in starting a MarTech company is go sit with some marketers for a month. Uh, I mean, do an anthropological study because the funny thing is, you know, I mean, so much tech gets created because someone, you know, has an idea on a whiteboard on their own and they're like, oh, that'd be really cool. And this is, and you know, and they go to bring it to market uh, and then they have to try and convince, you know, people that really you want this. You didn't know you wanted this, but trust me, you really do want this. And even if it's a great thing, it's just, it's hard, you know, versus I think just, uh, uh, what was it? Four steps to the epiphany, uh, Steve Blank, right? This was part of his, it's just like, you know, actually start with the customer and just spend time with them and look at like, wow, where is their pain point? What are they trying to do that's hard for them or taking lots of steps or it's inefficient or they're like, oh man, this sucks. You know, and if you sit with enough different folks who are target audiences and you start to see a pattern of like, whoa, actually, huh, you know, nine out of 10 marketers I've sat with, you know, like they're wasting, you know, 15% of their day with X. Man, if I could do something that could solve that, whoa, they'd buy that in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity for that. So I might call this the through the wall startup technique. You're saying you just, you go to a company, you sit on the other side of the wall from a marketer. And in the first time you hear, ah, <laughs> you come running in and say, what happened? <laughs> How do I fix it? And that, there's your product. <laughs> yes. Replicate that, you know, maybe a couple dozen times, you know, so it's not sample size of one. But yeah, if you get uh, two dozen companies that they're all having marketers with, uh, you know, that same, you know, primeval uh, cry, then yeah, um, you're onto something. <laughs> okay. Um, I've got, uh, let me see. I've got a couple more things here I want to make sure we get to. Carla Joe, do you have anything you want to jump in with before I kind of steamroll forward here? No, I love the feedback on, you know, always trying to figure out, you know, how to keep the humanization in with the automation and, you know, what's coming down the pike. Um, I think that's critically important to know. And I'm sure that the game will be how to dovetail all of these together so it's not a hodgepodge and we have better consistent marketing communication for our prospects and clients, right? Yep. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's not easy. <laughs> There's some work ahead to be done on this, but I think everything, at least that I see, seems to be moving in the right direction. 
Um, and so, yeah, I think it's I think it's a great time to be in marketing. So uh, for marketers out there that are getting getting into MarTech, maybe they have stuff set up already. Um, do you have, can you give out some general tips for people, maybe some pitfalls to avoid, um, you know, do's, don'ts, checklists, anything like that? Oh, well, well, don't uh, send someone the infinite, infinite stream of nurturing emails <laughs> one a day. <laughs> check, check that box. Please don't, please don't do that. Um, so the sales cadence you're saying, I mean, we all see that constantly right now, the sales cadence. Hey, here's our info. And then maybe you didn't, like you said earlier, maybe you didn't get this. Boom. Let me know this. Let me know that. And they just never stop. Yeah. And in some cases it, it's happening way before like you could even call it a sales cadence. It's uh, you know, uh, yes. Yeah, a, a marketing cadence. A marketing yeah, I guess. Cadence. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, you know, again, it's, um, there's so many cool things in MarTech, but I was joking just a minute ago that, you know, you go to most companies websites and frankly today, a lot of websites are still, pretty bad it's like hard to like navigate to like you know the information you want or they're very vague about what they do or i mean i'm trying to get pricing where can i i can't find it you know at the end of the day i mean customers still have you know relatively foundational needs of saying listen i just i want to find a company that does x i want to understand how they do x that's different than others how much it's going to cost me and if you can make that stuff like easy for them that still feels like that wins a huge amount of the battle in marketing, you know, and then we can, you know, apply all this fancy AI blockchain virtual reality on top of that. But, you know, give them, give them the core, give them the meat. <laughs> so you're saying there's a lot of MarTech, but when they come to your site, like make it simple, just they came there for something. Um, don't throw up a bunch of MarTech roadblocks. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, I mean the, the irony of, uh, what is it? Uh, like marketing automation is a, is a wonderful oxymoron. Um, it's not like you plug it in and like, Hey, <laughs> my marketing just started working all on its own. Um, yeah, it, it doesn't, uh, you can't abdicate the responsibility for doing really great marketing just because you have some really sophisticated marketing technology. That's back to the human part. Have good humans and let them do their creative quality marketing work, I guess. Cheers to that. Do you have any particular, uh, I guess, techniques for keeping up with with MarTech, I always feel like marketers, if they go on vacation and unplug for a week, when they come back, they're going to find they're obsolete now because they don't know what's going on anymore. <laughs> they don't know what landscape is. Hmm. How would you recommend people try to keep up with that? I mean, you did mention, you know, that the platforms were kind of helping, were assisting with that now. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it's keeping in balance, right? You want the majority of your time focused on foundational systems and really just executing well uh, with those capabilities and then you want to carve out a little bit of time for yeah keeping keeping up with the edge and understanding you know what's going to be relevant to your uh, your business um it's a little self-serving actually correction it's a lot self-serving but I'll, I'll pitch things like the martech conference i mean you know one of the reasons i like the conference format is i think it's hard for most marketers to be in a mode of like oh every week i've got to be looking at all this new stuff that comes 
No, you should. Every week, you should be spending most of your time focused on executing great stuff for you know customers, right? You know, and then build into your schedule. Say, hey, listen, you know, I'm I'm going to take a couple days, you know, once or twice a year. I'm going to go to you know a couple of these conferences. Doesn't have to be Martech. There's you know, I mean, lots of choices you have there. But go to something. And the whole one of the key reasons I'm going is because I want to take some time out of the office and sort of yeah, lift up and look around. What are other people doing? What are some of the new folks who are kind of exhibiting uh, you know? innovations at this that um you know you want to you want to build in time for that but you want to make sure, I, I think it's actually helpful to keep it in a bit of a box so it doesn't consume too much of your uh, yeah day-to-day time interesting interesting i'll look to call that the scott brinker model uh, modeled after your education kind of just get out there and do and then you can always once you sell your first company go back to college a couple times you know and learn more <laughs> of what's, in the, what's in the landscape just start doing right away if uh, you know if you'd went to college right off the bat, or actually you did, then you dropped out. So you know what? I, I kind of want to do stuff here. Um, so just kind of get stuff done. Worry about the MarTech later, I guess. I'd say you, it's it's always going to be there. There's always going to be more, better, that kind of stuff. Yeah, keep it. Keep the priorities. Keep your priorities straight. Yeah. <laughs> Remember the customer. They're not usually MarTech. Um, you mentioned the MarTech conference. I think uh, chiefmartech.com is your main website. Where can people find the MarTech conference? That, that just finished, but it, I'm sure it's going to come around again many more times. Uh, that's our hope. Um, it is uh, martechconf, C-O-N-F.com. Okay, and we'll put um, all this in the show notes as well. Um, F.com. Uh, and then contacting you, we have your Twitter here, Chief Martech. Um, people can reach out to you on LinkedIn, I'm sure. Any other way you'd like to, to have people be able to reach you? Yeah, no, that's good. If they want, uh, my email is just sbrinker at chiefmartech.com. Oh, Scott, big mistake. I know, but you know, <laughs> as long as you don't put me in like your automated nurturing campaign. <laughs> well, come on. You're my friend. On, <laughs> if you do, I'm going to track you down and <laughs> beat you. But yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's, there's got to be a MarTech for that, hunting down people who uh, won't leave you alone. Um, also, uh, Scott's got a couple books out there. Um, most recently, I think, uh, Hacking Marketing, yep. Agile Practices to Make Marketing Smarter, Faster, More Innovative. You can get that Amazon anywhere else you want. We'll have links on the, on the show notes for that. And then um, your book before that, The Honest Seduction, Using Post-Click marketing to turn landing pages into game changers anything else that you want us to throw out there for you for you scott uh, i feel like we've assaulted uh, yeah your listeners with a whole bunch of uh, stuff there but um yeah uh feel free to reach out on twitter if you have questions awesome and then uh, again on the show notes you can you can find all all this information on scott brinker it's uh, at the if you market.com uh website and uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please share us, uh, share the If You Market podcast on social media. Tell your friends. Give us good reviews on iTunes. On behalf of Carla Joe Helms and the If You Market team and Scott Brinker, uh, thanks for listening. Don't forget. Uh, oh, also spread the word. If you market the shit out of it, they will come. Right. If you market it with Bartek, they will come. As long as you keep it human. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> thanks, good. Scott. Thanks. Thank thanks you. Thanks very much.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.